This message comes from NPR sponsor, Acorn TV. Acorn TV is brilliant television told brilliantly. From charmingly cozy mysteries to daringly dark dramas. Visit acorn.tv for a 30-day free trial with promo code NPR. Acorn TV. Brilliant. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Osea. This Mother's Day, treat mom to Osea's limited edition skincare sets. Go to oseamalibu.com and use code MOM for 10% off your first order site-wide. The name Ferrari conjures speed. Lots of it. The new film Ferrari stars Adam Driver and it tells one chapter in the life of a man who wanted everything to go as fast as possible. It also considers the price that he and others paid. I'm Linda Holmes, and today we're talking about Ferrari on Pop Culture Happy Hour from NPR. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Homes.com. You don't just live in your home, you live in your neighborhood as well. So when you're shopping for a home, you want to know as much about the area around it as possible. Luckily, Homes.com has got you covered. Each listing features a comprehensive neighborhood guide from local experts. Everything you'd ever want to know about a neighborhood, including the number of homes for sale, local amenities, and even things like median lot size and a noise score. Homes.com. We've done your homework. This message comes from NPR sponsor BritBox, helping people discover a world of British TV, including new original drama Time, starring Jodie Whittaker, Tamara Lawrence, and Bella Ramsey, streaming at BritBox.com NPR. This message comes from NPR sponsor CarMax. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because CarMax believes you shouldn't just settle for a car, you should love your car. That's why every car they sell has CarMax certified quality, so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. Don't settle. Find love at first drive. Start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. The economy right now is bewildering, impenetrable, inconceivable. Not when you have the indicator of podcast in your ears. In under 10 minutes every day, we simplify the complicated news like... How does inflation drop? What the heck is a SPAC? Why are trendy little high-fiber sodas suddenly dominating store shelves? And more. Listen to the indicator from Planet Money and NPR. Do you wish stories could unfold over three hours rather than three minutes? You tired of doom scrolling? Trying to find humanity? Or maybe a deeper understanding of why the world is the way it is? Listen to Embedded, NPR's original documentary series. Find us wherever you get your podcasts. Joining me today is Chris Klimek. He's a writer and host of the Smithsonian Magazine podcast, There's More to That. Hi, Chris. Hi, Linda. Podcasters have a cruel emptiness in our stomachs, Mm -hmm. as you know. Yes. Mm -hmm. We must be loyal to the lust to win Uh at podcasting. I don't know how you knew. Uh, Ferrari stars Adam Driver as Enzo Ferrari, who began his empire with his wife, Laura, in the 1940s. The film covers a period in 1957 when he was determined to enter his cars in a race called the Mille Miglia. At the same time, he's trying to manage his barely functional marriage to Laura, played by Penelope Cruz, and a happier relationship with another woman named Lena, played by Shailene Woodley, with whom he has a secret child. Ferrari is directed by Michael Mann, who makes big movies that move fast, like Heat and Collateral. Ferrari is in theaters now. Chris, give me a bottom line. How did this work for you? You know, it did work for me, um, 
But I can't help but compare this to the other biopic in Michael Mann's filmography, which was Ali with Mm -hmm. Will Smith as Muhammad Ali. Just on the basis of that, I think I was expecting Ferrari to be a little bit more formally innovative than it is. Mm -hmm. I did like this movie, but it was a little kind of pedestrian in its style compared to other Michael Mann films where, you know, it doesn't have the very aggressive editing that Ali had where, of course, that film is Mm -hmm. covering a larger period in time than Ferrari is. Uh I do think the bones of it are solid. I think the performances are good. But, um, you know, Michael Mann is in his 80s now, and we're in this season where we're thinking of, uh, you know, other directors like Martin Scorsese with Killers at the Flower Moon and Ridley Scott with Napoleon, where it's like how these big movies kind of, as they must be winding down, right, how this fits into their filmography. And this Mm -hmm. movie, Ferrari, is not sort of the answer key for Michael Mann Mm -hmm. the way that some of those other big movies are to me for those other directors. So I did like it, but I did find it from this guy a little bit pedestrian. I knew that this was going to be a challenge for me because I don't care about cars. (laughs) There is a fascination with speed, with things that go fast, whether it's cars or horses or boats, that I just don't share, really. And I knew that I was kind of going to have to pay attention to a lot of other things about the movie and to try to kind of key in to the fact that I may not care about cars, but he does, right? And he cares deeply about making cars and winning races. Mm. You find him and his wife at this very difficult point where their son has died uh, young. They're very distressed about that. And, you know, as I mentioned in the intro, he's got this other relationship. Mm. He and his wife are at a point so tense that very early in the movie, she pulls a gun on him. Now, she doesn't seem like she's really going to use it on him. but A a gun that he gave her, he makes a point of mentioning. One of the things that's interesting is I got a chance to read the production notes, and I I felt from the production notes, like I got a better sense of what Michael Mann and some of the other people who worked on the movie think is so interesting about this story. And I'm just not sure it came through in the movie to me because they were talking about how – The world of racing at that time was just this very big, very dramatic, very important kind of scene. And there's this sense that he was this complicated, you know, was he a a taskmaster? Was he a, a person who just really was driven? Listen, I am a big fan of Adam Driver, but I don't think it was necessary to cast like a probably then 39-year-old Adam Driver to play this 60-year-old. Yeah. Wait, you, you you don't think a tall 39-year-old American to play a, a short, paunchy 60-year-old uh, Italian? I kind of don't get it. And I do think across the board, there are a number of Americans here struggling with mm. Italian accents. Yes. Adam Driver doing an Italian accent is true to nothing. It's true. Um, now, now, the judge has instructed us, Linda, that we cannot take House of Gucci into account when we are discussing I Ferrari. I know. But but it's hard not to think about, though. It's hard not to think about the fact that yeah. he's now decided to do like two old Italian businessmen, <laughs> almost back to back. And I think Adam Driver is such an interesting actor, and I've liked him in so many things. And he can, among other things, be so funny, yeah. which people remember every time he's on Saturday Night Live. I think he's a little miscast in this. Yeah. I think Michael Mann is sort of infatuated with him at this moment, honestly. I mean, he keeps hinting that, uh, you know, he wants to make Mm -hmm. Heat 2 next. And it it seems like he's very keen to shoehorn Driver into that as well. I think he's fine in this. I don't think it's his greatest performance. He doesn't embarrass himself. I think all the performances in this are pretty good. But I agree with you. He is... uh, 
not the most natural choice. Uh-huh. This is one of those movies that has been in the works for so long that uh, other casts have come and gone over time. Yeah, I do think that in some ways Michael Mann is the most interesting thing about this movie. As you mentioned, sort of trying to fit it into his filmography. As soon as you see the early racing sequences that take place on a track, they do have a tremendous sense of speed to them. Maybe more than any other car racing stuff that I have watched in a feature film. Among other things, there's some very good work being done to stabilize the image, whatever combination of stabilizing it in the Mm. practical sense, right, while it's doing the filming, and then stabilizing the image after the fact in producing it. And I think it adds to the sense that it's unbelievably fast. And I think that's very effective. And then later, when they're doing the Mille Miglia and they're out sort of in the country, and you're also at the part of the movie where everything is is and feels yes. even more dangerous, you get the, the yeah. more traditional kind of shots of the car from the hood looking at the driver, and they're more shaky and handheld, and you get much more of that sense of chaos. Like, the way he shoots the actual Mm. racing and the actual speeding cars in this, I think is great. Yeah. I mean, no one ever said Michael Mann does not know how to shoot a movie, right? right? I mean, there have been experiments with digital photography that didn't quite pan out. I remember Public Enemies being a movie that looked kind of, Mm -hmm. there was a very deliberately chosen kind of digital aesthetic to that movie set in the 30s, I think, that I just felt like did not match the material. So I didn't like it. But, you know, Michael Mann always gets the effect that he wants, right? Right. There Mm -hmm. There are no accidents. And as I think about it, the way that we can connect this to his prior filmography is he always makes movies about people who are addicted to risky behavior. All of his undercover cops who are, you know, addicted to the the life and, mm-hmm, and all sure. that kind of thing. Clearly, this is not the most effective method of law enforcement. Probably, you know, he's very interested in the sort of the flawed personalities that mm-hmm. draw his, his characters to this kind of work. To connect that to Ferrari, this, this is, um, although I don't feel like the racing is the dominant aspect of this movie, I did get a sense of the danger of it here that maybe isn't so present in other movies. Like, I did really feel like, well, these people are nuts to do this. Right. And it's a matter of historical fact that his participation in the Millamelia ends with a kind of a spectacular, disastrous crash. Yeah. They do a very good job in kind of leading you down the road to seeing how that's going to happen. And then the actual filming of the crash is very effective in that it's totally horrifying. And... There is so much in the styling of the movie. Those red cars just look tremendous. They look tremendous. Mm -hmm. The whole look of the film is really beautiful. And as I said, I really love the car stuff. The rest of it, the kind of the character stuff, I don't think works as well as the character stuff in a movie like Heat Mm -hmm. that surrounds things like, yes, it also has maybe the most spectacular gunfight you're ever going to see in a movie. You know, the the sound mixing is done to be so loud. And this is a movie that also has some tremendous sound design. There's a section at the opera where they move from a more traditional sounding recorded opera bit to live recording of the singers. And you can definitely tell it's different. Mm -hmm. It has a very particular emotional effect. But I think the character stuff in something like Heat, when you have both the De Niro character and the Pacino character, I think that stuff holds up a little better outside of those moments of spectacle. 
than maybe the character stuff does here. Well, and I, I think it is appropriate to discuss Heat a little bit in this conversation just because we know Ferrari has been this dream mm-hmm. project for Michael mm-hmm. Mann for the basically the latter 20 to 30 years of his career. And it's odd to me to think of Heat, which came out in 1995, as a mid-period work right. for him. <laughs> yeah. But it is, you know, I mean, that was almost 30 years ago. And I do feel like Heat is still the signature Michael Mann film because it incorporates pieces of so many other things that he had done prior to that. And I mean, I wrote a whole piece for The Dissolve years ago, basically tracking all of the specific lines and scenes and things in Heat that he just lifted straight out of Crime Story, his uh, his other mid-80s NBC yeah. TV show, or out of Miami Vice. And of course, there was a whole like first draft of Heat shot for television a few years prior that was supposed to be a pilot for a different show that wasn't picked up, but so so NBC aired it under the title of L.A. Takedown. Yeah. So my point is simply that Heat feels like the movie that Michael Mann always wanted to make, but he made it a long time ago. Right, <laughs> and, right. Uh, Ferrari is his first feature since Black Hat, which is, uh, you know, a sort of parts of it are very good. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, so Mann has been a little bit adrift. And uh, it seems he was investing a lot of energy in trying to get this film made. So, so again, that's my I, – I think this film is solid. You know, I don't think it's his best or even his third or fourth best movie, which is a little surprising given how I, – I think I agree with you that um, – the passion um, that he exhibits in interviews talking about this movie and stuff, it's, you wouldn't necessarily glean that from what's actually on screen. Right. That's how I felt. I felt like I get your passion when you explain your passion. I'm not sure I get it from the film. And I did have the thought as I was watching some of the racing stuff in the latter part of the movie, I did have the thought, I bet this was the biggest kick <laughs> to film and make. I bet this was the most fun some of these guys have ever had. This, among other things, he cast uh, Patrick Dempsey, (laughs) who you don't see in a lot of feature films these days. And I I did not recognize him. Uh, You know, McDreamy himself (laughs) as a a kind of an older, fully white-haired driver. And Patrick Dempsey, of course, is a guy who is heavily into racing cars and has talked about that a lot and has turned parts of his career toward that. Yes. I suspect everybody here had an amazing time. Because like I said, I don't have the fascination with cars, but if you do, this would be an absolutely tremendous project to be involved in. There's a bunch of stuff in the production notes about how they recreated some of the cars and how they got to use some vintage cars. The thing that is remarkable about Heat to me is the use of things like sound feels so congruent with the story that they're telling. It's fascinating to think that Michael Mann was Mm. considered like a flashy kind of guy when he was doing Miami Vice. And now he's kind of moved into this more like prestige director kind of space, which he was not always in when he was making Miami Vice. But when you watch the way they use like sound design and heat, you remember he is still a stylist in this way that is Mm. super fascinating and great. But I'm not sure it holds up. Yeah. I mean, I think he is a sort of sensualist stylist first. And then he goes, you know, mm-hmm. and, and sort of uh, reverse engineers whatever he wanted. Like you mentioned the red car. I, I have no trouble believing that he just saw a red Ferrari somewhere and was like, you know, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to make a movie. Absolutely. And then he's going to spend years researching the life of Enzo Ferrari and, you know, retconning it into this elaborate mm-hmm. intellectual framework that he can justify. You know, but I mentioned earlier how, you know, again, man in his early 80s now 
there are all these other contemporaries of his who are releasing movies this season. And I think Ridley Scott is a very fair comparison, right? Here's another guy who was mm-hmm. established as a, a visual filmmaker first and a guy who's more interested in environments and imagery than in characterization and um, theme, maybe. Mm-hmm. All, all these artists become respectable once they get old, right? That's part of it. It's true. I mean, man was always deliberate. And he has become mm-hmm. more so, you know, whether or not that's just because it's it's harder for an auteur to get a movie made that's not about a superhero now. That's probably part of it, too. Right. But uh, right. I do think he is, um, you know, a, a thoughtful filmmaker. Uh-huh. The degree to which all of that research and all of that background informs what's on screen is, is you know, as mm-hmm. we said, it, it's not as as palpable in this movie as it is in some of his others. Right. And it's interesting to compare how his style served Tom Cruise in Collateral versus how Tom Cruise comes off in Mission Impossible. Right. You're not going to go to a Mission Impossible movie and think this is a really different angle to take on Tom Cruise, which I think Collateral was. And it's one of the interesting things is that you could see this as a different way to think about Adam Driver because he's playing an old Italian businessman, except that he just played an old Italian (laughs) businessman. And I don't think you get the same twist on him that you got on cruise and collateral or i mean probably that that has happened in other in other man projects that you could think of but right yeah i do find his arc fascinating from kind of the guy who you know miami vice was respected in its way but also looked down on in its yeah. way well and also michael mann i mean he was heavily involved in the first two seasons and after that you know it still had mm-hmm. his production company logo at the end and everything but he was really only deeply involved in the first two years and yeah. and even he has said like uh, but i mean that's where you establish the aesthetic and everything so it all makes sense right of, of course of course i mean he will be forever identified with miami vice for right. sure well we definitely want to know what you think about ferrari also if you want to talk about heat you can and rent that online. It's also currently uh, streaming on Netflix. Find us at facebook.com slash PCHH. That brings us to the end of our show. Chris Klimek, thanks so much for being here. It is always a delight to talk to you. It's such a delight, Linda. I'm, I'm sorry we didn't get to see a Liam Neeson movie together in 2023, but uh, I hope we will in 2024. We have hope for the future. This episode was produced by Hafsa Fathima and Ramel Wood and edited by Mike Katzif and Jessica Reedy. Hello Come In provides our theme music. Thank you for listening to Pop Culture Happy Hour from NPR. I'm Linda Holmes, and we'll see you all tomorrow. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Acorn TV. Acorn TV is brilliant television told brilliantly. From charmingly cozy mysteries to daringly dark dramas. Visit acorn.tv for a 30-day free trial with promo code NPR. Acorn TV. Brilliant. This message comes from NPR sponsor Capital One. With the Spark Cash Plus card, you earn unlimited 2% cash back on every purchase for your business. Find out more at CapitalOne.com slash SparkCashPlus. Terms and conditions apply. In any great story, there's a moment that sparks your curiosity. It tells you there is more to uncover. How, how did this happen? How did we get here? That's where Embedded comes in. We are NPR's home for documentary journalism immersive and intimate stories. I was stone-cold speechless. Nothing will ever, 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 ever be the same here. Find Embedded wherever you get your podcasts.